Was anyone else wondering if Dennis was praying for the guest speaker for this morning? <laughs> was that just me? <laughs> I was like, are they bringing a ringer in or what's going on? Like, uh, My name is Nathan Fogdy. I'm the pastor of worship and connections here. Uh, typically, I um, have the privilege of, of leading our congregation in musical worship. And this morning, I have the privilege of of proclaiming God's word. And it's a, a privilege that uh, I don't take lightly, uh, but I'm, I'm grateful for it. That last song that we just sang, all the power, all the glory uh, belongs to our Lord is so fitting as we begin this time in our service. Because that, that phrase references the authority of God the authority of God. And, and, and authority is a difficult word to consider these days, is it not? In a world of autonomy and desire to please oneself in all of life's decisions, authority bucks one's own trajectory in these, in these matters. Uh, you've heard the phrase, I deserve to be happy. I've heard that phrase mentioned to me. And that phrase determines the thoughts and actions of a person. One's own happiness then becomes the authority. Beloved, we are not our own authority. We are not, no matter how much we say, the master of our own domain. We are bound to the master. We are bound to what our master, almighty God, has set for us to do in his word. Written almost 400 years ago, the Westminster Confession of Faith states the supreme judge by which all controversies of religion are to be determined and all decrees of councils, opinions of ancient writers, doctrines of men, and private spirits are to be examined and in whose sentence we are to rest can be no other but the Holy Spirit speaking in Scripture. Centuries later, a group of pastors and scholars gathered and published this statement. We affirm that the Holy Scriptures are to be received as the authoritative word of God. Humans are not the authority. God's word is the authority. When we think about God's word, we might understand that the phrase refers to the Holy Scriptures, the Bible. But what does the Bible have to say about the word of God? Surely God would tell us what his word is and what it can accomplish in the life of the believer. Another question to ask is, is how, knowing what the Bible has to say about itself, do we then use it within the context of our Christian community? Now, brothers and sisters, God has given us a tre treasure trove to discover on this topic. We are not left to our own accord in trying to discover what God's word is and what we should do with it. God has provided that for us. So today, it is our privilege to consider what God has to say about his word 
We're going to be in three different books of scripture, so there's going to be a lot of turning your Bibles today. If you didn't bring your Bible, I encourage you to go to the Connections desk, go into the desk. There are Bibles on the back. It's okay. Take one. We'd love it for that to be our gift for you today. But we're going to be looking at a lot of different Bible verses today. We're going to be in Acts, 2 Timothy, and Hebrews. So if you want to mark each of those books in your Bible, take some time right now to do that. It's going to be a lot of flipping back and forth. In these books, we're going to consider three truths, three truths about the word of God so that we can properly sit under the authority of God and thereby bring him honor and glory in all that we do and how we apply that here at EBC. So the first truth, first truth we see in the Bible is that God's word is inspired. First truth, those of you taking notes, I don't have sermon notes up on the screen today. You're gonna have to really listen to me today. God's word is inspired. So turn with me to the first chapter in Acts. If you're not already there, first chapter in Acts. Acts was written by Luke, and he records for us in this first chapter a helpful verse. Look at verse 16. Verse 16 of chapter 1 says, Brethren, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit foretold by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. Now, in this verse, Peter explains that the Holy Spirit worked through David in providing prophecy, and this, this is recorded in Psalm 69 and Psalm 109, concerning Judas. Luke records for us in Acts 4, 25 through 26, you don't have to turn there, that the Holy Spirit through David penned the words of Psalm 2, which then Peter used in testifying about God's providence and purpose in salvation to those who would put their faith in Christ. And the writer of Hebrews also explains that while men penned the words of Scripture, they were directed or spoken by the Holy Spirit. That's seen in Hebrews chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 3. The Holy Spirit spoke through the biblical writers so that what we have today is from God himself. That's where our authority lies. Turn with me to 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3. We'll be here a little bit today. 2 Timothy 3, 16. We read, all scripture is inspired by God. All scripture is inspired by God. This word inspiration can literally be translated as God breathed. I think that says, says that in some of your translations. Not only was the Holy Spirit at work in biblical writers, but he was also at work in the creation of the very words of Scripture. The Bible has been brought into being by God in God alone. And John Stott has this to say about the Bible. It originated in God's mind and was communicated from God's mouth by God's breath 
or spirit. So, when we see that scripture is inspired by God, as, as we see here in 2 Timothy 3.16, what scriptures are being mentioned? Well, God has given us the Old Testament. The book of Acts refers to the book of Psalms as scripture in Acts 1 verse 20. And then when Paul mentions scripture here in 2 Timothy 3.16, Timothy would have known that he was at least referring to the Old Testament. In verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3, you can see there, Paul mentions the sacred writings. The sacred writings. Now, this would be in reference to the Old Testament. Timothy, being a young half-Jewish man, would have been taught the Old Testament from his childhood. It was just something that was ingrained into their culture. Not only does Scripture include the Old Testament, Scripture is also in reference to the New Testament. So look at 2 Timothy 3.14. Paul exhorts Timothy to continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of. Now, while Paul doesn't call his writings Scripture, he at other places puts his writings on par with Scripture. And John Stott explains again, he directs that his letters be read publicly, be read publicly in the Christian assemblies, no doubt alongside Old Testament readings. And this is seen in Colossians 4. This is seen in 1 Thessalonians 5. Several times he claims to be speaking in the name and with the authority of Christ, as seen in 2 Corinthians 2 and 13 in Galatians 4. And he calls his message the word of God, as seen in 1 Thessalonians 2, end quote. Peter saw Paul's writings as scripture. In referring to them, he called the Old Testament the rest of the scriptures in 2 Peter 3.16. Now, we've been focusing on scriptures as a work of the spirit, and that is right. However, The construction of the scriptures really is a Trinitarian work. Turn with me to Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8. The writer of Hebrews mentions the first covenant in Hebrews 8, 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, and so on. This is in reference to the covenant made with Moses. And this covenant was inaugurated by God the Father. The Father was the one who gave Moses the law and instructed Israel to live in accordance with the law. Now, now we have a new covenant, right? That's been inaugurated through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 8, which quotes from Jeremiah 31, states that a new covenant will come. And this new covenant is seen not through the sacrifice of animals, but through the once-for-all sacrificial death of Christ on the cross. God's word is inspired. And the Trinity is at work together in the creation of Scripture. That is that first truth that we see this morning. The second truth we see 
in the Bible is that God's word is unfailing. Second truth, those taking notes, God's word is unfailing. Now, scripture, specifically prophecy, will be fulfilled. It is true, and what it says will come to pass. Let's turn back to the book of Acts. Go to Acts chapter 1. Told you we'd be flipping through a lot of pages today. Acts chapter 1. Now, as we considered the events surrounding Judas in Acts 1.16, his actions were prophesied long before they led to the arrest of our Savior. Old Testament scriptures concerning the promise of the Spirit have come true. As scripture testifies to the Spirit's work in the age of the church in Acts 2, 17 through 21. You can look over at those verses, Acts 2, 17 through 21. In Peter's sermon at Pentecost, that's what this is right here, he quotes from Joel 2 when he proclaims, and it shall be in the last days. God says that I will pour forth of my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit and they shall prophesy. Those who are under this new covenant, meaning they have put their faith in Christ for salvation are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. God's word is true. It is unfailing. Peter continues in chapter 2, verses 22 through 28, explaining that the prophets spoke of the suffering, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And Christ is the one who is exalted and at the right hand of the Father, as we see in verse 25. He is now in the presence of the Father, reigning forevermore, as we see in verses 34 through 35. And Hebrews testifies to this as well. The Old Testament scriptures were to give a picture of what was to come. Mainly, salvation through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10.1 says that the law only gave a shadow of the good things to come. The one who was perfect in every way, who has come to fulfill the law, now makes it possible for us to come to him in saving faith. God has proven faithful in keeping his promises. Now back to Acts. Moses spoke of Christ as one who is deserving of attention when he speaks. Look at chapter 3, verse 22. Chapter 3, verse 22. We see that God will raise up a prophet like Moses, and to him you shall give heed to everything he says to you. Isn't this true of the words of Christ? How can we hear what the Savior says and have it not affect our lives? One should listen to the prophets if they want to live eternally, for the prophets point toward faith in the only one who can deliver men from their sins. 
Turn back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1. The word of God contains sound words. The word of God contains sound words. There is nothing fallible, nothing false about the word of God. Since God's word is always true, as Paul describes in 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14, it is to be guarded and kept for all time. He says here, verse 13, retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. In the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which has been entrusted to you. About these verses, John MacArthur states, in Scripture, we have God's own truth in standards. All we need or should want to have. It is the only divinely inspired, divinely revealed, absolute, unique, perfect, and sufficient truth. In a day and age when the question of what is true is just tossed out there into oblivion, we as believers know what is true, what is unfailing, and that is the word of God. In it, this MacArthur continues, in it is found everything necessary for salvation and for living out the saved life. Now, ultimately, one must believe the word of Christ or the word concerning Christ, which is the gospel, in order to be saved. And this leads us well into our third truth, where we will spend the bulk of our time today. The third truth we see in the Bible is God's word is profitable. God's word is profitable. Now we get this word from 2 Timothy 3.16. This verse again, all scripture, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. Now how? How is it profitable? The word of God is profitable because it leads to gospel proclamation. It leads to us proclaiming who Jesus is. Let's go back to to Acts chapter 2. Back to Acts chapter 2. The word of God is to be used in order to explain who Christ is. So important. Again, that's where our authority lies, brothers and sisters. We can say a lot of things. Is it founded in Scripture? Is it based in the word of God? Now this again is in reference to the gospel. As you read through Peter's sermon at Pentecost, you see how the gospel attests to Christ's life. That's in verses 22 and 23. You can read those verses. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know, this man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men 
and put him to death. The gospel attests to Christ's life, his death and burial. You see that in verse 23, his resurrection. Verse 24, but God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Love that. Gospel attests to Christ's resurrection, his ascension and exaltation. And you see that those next several verses, 25 through 36, and that he indeed is Messiah. He is Savior. Jesus has come to save people from their sins. You see this again in Acts 5, Acts 13, Acts 17, Acts 18. And you can look at the book of Hebrews and see the same thing. God's word is not to be taken lightly. Hebrews 1.3 says that Christ himself upholds all things by the word of his power. Upholds all things by the word of his power. That's amazing. Hebrews 1, 5 through 14 testifies of the exaltation of Christ above the angels. Hebrews 2, 5 through 8 testifies of the humanity and glory of Christ. A few verses later, Hebrews 2, 12 through 13 testifies of Christ's atoning work as a sanctifying agent in the life of the believer. Hebrews 4, 4 through 7 testifies of the peace that one has in Christ. How does one obtain this peace? <laughs> well, they, they hear the word and that causes them to rest in God, to trust in him. The word shows that we, sinners we may be, can be reconciled to a holy God through the work of Christ on our behalf. Praise God for that wondrous work, Amen. And the word of God has the ability to pierce the heart. Since the word reveals the person and work of Christ, it shows people their need for Christ. Acts 2.37, if you're still there in Acts 2, you can see this. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. <laughs> Their response, they said to Peter, the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Such conviction here. This led to their repentance and faith as they received the word, as we see in verse 41. Go over to Hebrews chapter 4. Familiar verse, I'm sure, to a lot of you. Hebrews 4.12. I'd like us to see this this morning. Hebrews 4.12 also attests to the piercing nature of the word. It reads, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. A.W. Pink, um, I thought, had some helpful questions on this verse. He asked the question, has the word of God pierced you? Man, gets to you, right? Has the word of God pierced you? Has it brought conviction to what you're doing in life? He continues, has it penetrated as no word from man ever has into your innermost being? 
Has it exposed the workings of your wicked heart? Has it detected to you the sink of iniquity which dwells within? Man. Good questions to ask. When you come to read the word of God, when you come to understand, when you come to study, does it have an effect on your life? Does God's word pierce you in a way that causes change that honors and glorifies the Lord? Now, as we consider these questions, the piercing nature of the word helps us to see how glorious our Savior is. The one who is greater than the angels and greater than any man who has ever walked this earth. When you consider those questions and, and think about how you fail, <laughs> it should drive us to, to cast our, our cares on the Lord, throw ourselves upon the mercy of Christ, the one who has saved us from our failings, the one who has saved us from our sins. It should cause us to see how glorious Christ is in that moment. A gospel proclamation must also include exhortation. It is not enough to simply read scripture and have it not affect a person. We've covered that. When Christ is proclaimed, the word shows the need for true heart change. It kind of shows whether or not we really believe this. Do we believe God's word enough for us to proclaim it? Do we believe God's word enough for us to tell people about who Jesus is? So key, so important. Does it have an effect on us so that it leads to that proclamation, that exhortation, that challenge to others to follow Jesus? Let's look back to Acts chapter two. Back to Acts chapter two. See a wonderful example of proclamation, of exhortation in Peter's sermon at Pentecost. We've looked at it a lot today. Look at verse 40. <laughs> verse 40. So he gets through proclaiming Christ, who he is, his humanity, his deity. And then he says here in verse 40, and with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Whoa. Any of you said that <laughs> this past week? Be saved from this perverse generation. Such conviction. Mm. As one uses the word in exhortation, he is able to speak with confidence and boldness because of the authority of the word of God alone. It's not confidence and boldness in one's own words, how articulate one can be in proclaiming Christ. It's confidence and boldness based on scripture and scripture alone. You see this in Acts 4, verse 29 and 31. You see this in Acts 13, verses 44 and 48. Now, why? Why should the word of God be exhorted? Why should it be proclaimed in this way? And the word should be proclaimed in this way so that others can hear of Christ. In our desire to make disciples, people need to hear about Jesus. 
I know it's not rocket science, but it needs to happen. In order for us to make disciples, we need to tell people who Jesus is. We need to exhort, we need to proclaim. As others hear of Christ, they're able to put their faith in him for salvation. And the church continues to grow and flourish. And you see that all throughout the book of Acts. That's what happened in the early church. Turn over to Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six. Acts chapter six, verse seven. The word of God kept on spreading and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. You're probably thinking, Nathan, this sounds really easy, but it's not. (laughs) A gospel proclamation is not without hardship. Recognize that. But despite hardship, despite persecution, the word is to be preached. Turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. Paul known at this time as Saul, is persecuting the church, right? This is before his conversion. And yet, despite this persecution that is taking place, Philip continues to proclaim Christ. And this led to the conversion, or the conversation, sorry, between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Look at verse 35 of Acts chapter 8. Verse 35. It explains, Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, this is speaking of Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. When the gospel is preached, it is able to be received and people are able to believe in Christ and then be baptized as you see at the beginning of Acts 8 and then here in the following verses after this conversation. As the word is preached, the truth of reconciliation is made known. Those who put their faith in Christ are now and forevermore at peace with God. Turn to Acts 10. Turn to Acts 10. Through belief in Christ, sins are forgiven and the Holy Spirit indwells the believer. Look at Acts 10, starting in verse 36. Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. And it happened at that time that she fell sick and died. And when they had washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. When he arrived, they brought him in. Sorry, I'm reading Acts 9. What am I doing? (laughs) I'm just going for it. No one's like, that's 9. So, (laughs) sorry. (laughs) How embarrassing. All right. There we go. Acts 10, verse 36. This is a much better passage for this sermon. I'm like, how am I going to explain raising from the dead? All right, so... 
The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know the thing which took place throughout all Judea, starting from Galilee, after the baptism which John proclaimed. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was, God was with him. We are witnesses of all the things he did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put him to death by hanging him on a cross. God raised him up on the third day and granted that he became visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God. That is to us who ate and drank with him after he arose from the dead. And he ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the one who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of him, all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. That is gospel proclamation. And if you're wondering, like, what do I even say about Jesus? Go to this passage. Go to Acts 10, not Acts 9. All right. Go to Acts 10, verses 36 through 44. Power, powerful words. And Peter proclaims the gospel to the Gentiles, and, and these were individuals who were low in the eyes of the Jews, and yet Peter told them of Christ. He didn't see their position as a barrier to the gospel. He saw it as an opportunity to talk about who Jesus is. Even those who seem like they are far too gone to come to Christ have need to hear of the gospel. So, like it says in Acts 10.45, the Holy Spirit can be poured out on them as well. The word is to be proclaimed in a way that helps people to believe. That's how it can be profitable. It's to be proclaimed in a way that helps people to believe. Those who proclaim the word should do so in a way that is faithful to the Bible and is winsome and persuasive. We don't have to turn back there, but one can look to Paul and to Barnabas as examples. Acts 14.1 explains that they spoke in such a manner that a large number of people believed. And not only should the word be used in evangelism, but it also is to be used in countering doctrinal error within the church. The word overrules tradition and the desires of man. The word overrules preference and the desires of man. It is to be used to teach what is right and good and true. And it's those things where we need to rest as God's people. At the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15, James reminded the apostles of Amos' words in Amos 9 that there would be Gentiles called by God's name. Even though the Gentiles were unclean by Jewish standards, Scripture overruled the apostles' traditions and helped them to see that the Gentiles, yes, even the Gentiles, those ungodly wretches, could receive salvation. And God uses his word to open one's heart to Christ in response of what they hear. Look over at Acts chapter 16. Acts 16. Making sure I'm in chapter 16 this time. 16 verse 14. 
we read, A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, was listening to Paul. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to things spoken by Paul. And she was described as someone who was a worshiper of God. So to someone who didn't know her, she might have come across it someone, as someone who already understood the gospel. She's a worshiper of God. She, she kind of looks good on the outside. Maybe she attends public worship. She doesn't need to hear about Jesus. But Paul proclaimed Christ to her. Lydia is an example of one who may be within the church, who is in reality not a part of the church. And that might be the case today. There may be some here that are worshipers of God who need to have their hearts opened by the Lord. God, through his word, accomplishes this in the heart of a person. It is through the word that one hears how they can be saved. Now, knowledge of salvation does not come through anything except the word of God. You see this later in Acts 16, uh, verse 32, where the Philippian jailer and his household are baptized following Paul's explanation of the word of the Lord. And the word of God can be used in, in a polemic way. It can be used in countering the false religions or systems of the world. This is seen in Paul's sermon on Mars Hill in Acts 17. The word shows the truth and beauty of God that the world seeks in other ways and that they ultimately cannot find. Now, in addition to gospel proclamation, the word of God is profitable in the gathering of God's people. That's why we spend so much time in the proclamation of the word in our Sunday gatherings. The early church used scripture as a teaching mechanism as the saints worship corporately in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. The scriptures are to be used to teach others about God and his work of redemption. In Acts 5, familiar verse, especially in light of the past couple years, Peter and the apostles taught faithfully from the word in the temple. And when this is done, it is important to teach in a manner that is faithful to the text, which shows one's obedience to God rather than men. Acts 5.29. The word of God is to be a priority in the leadership of the church. Look back to Acts chapter 6. Acts chapter 6. Along with prayer, church leaders are to be devoted to the ministry of the word. Acts chapter 6, verse 4 states, We, and this is speaking of church leadership, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. So key. The word is to be read and explained. One in the teaching role is to use the word to guide the thinking of the hearer. He is also to use the word as a tool in proclaiming Christ because scripture reveals Jesus as the Christ. I'll turn back to Acts 16. Acts 16. This narrative is following the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. So following that, Paul and Silas came to Derby. 
in Lystra. They used the word of the apostles in strengthening churches. Remember, the instruction the apostles gave was based on the truth that the gospel would be manifested among the Gentiles. While extra-biblical writings can be of benefit to the church, we encourage those here. That's why we have Book of the Month. Those can be of benefit to the church. Nothing, nothing, nothing is as beneficial as the Word of God. So while we encourage those things, while you spend time reading those things, which is wonderful and good, we encourage that. Don't let that replace your study of the Word of God. Acts 16, verse 5 states, The churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. This is through the proclamation of the word. Those with more knowledge in the scriptures are to use the word in teaching and training God's people in the full counsel of his word. I'd say those with less knowledge in the scriptures are also called to do the same. Everything we teach about who Jesus is should be based on the word of God. And Paul's a great example for us here. Great example. He labored with the believers in Corinth in Acts 18, and then he labored again in those two letters to that church. As the word is used in the gathered church, it is to be handled accurately. Accurately. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Again, familiar verse to us. But one that is fitting for this morning. Verse 15. Be diligent. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. The participle from which we get accurately handling means literally to cut straight. One must preach the word with precision, with clarity. John MacArthur states, the careful exegete and expositor of God's word of truth must be meticulous in the way he interprets and pieces together the many individual truths found in scripture. The first and most important principle is that of basing doctrine and standards of living on scripture alone. So that's sola scriptura, right? Protestant Reformation, one of the solas there. And the word of God, the word of God needs to be taught. The word of God cannot be contained. While man can be imprisoned for for proclaiming the word, it will not stagnate. Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 9, the word of God is not imprisoned. The word is to be preached faithfully and diligently as seen in Paul's charge to Timothy to preach the word as we see in 2 Timothy 4, 2. God's word is to be spoken by leaders and heard by those under their leadership. And this hearing should lead to action. It's not just hearing, going out the doors, doesn't affect you at all. It should lead to action. Hearing with understanding, hearing that leads to life change. Hearing that leads to application. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. 
Now, the word of God is profitable as the believer applies the word to his life. While we're in 2 Timothy, go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 16 again. God's word is profitable for teaching. Profitable for teaching. And this is in reference to the content of what is being taught. Profitable for teaching. As we find ourselves in, in teaching formats within the church or among other believers, whether they're informal or formal, and I'll go out on a limb, it's more like a branch, and say that all of us should be involved in informally teaching the word, since that is the one, that's one of the ways that disciples are made. I'm just gonna go out on that branch, all right? We all need to be involved in teaching the word in some way, some aspect. If we're all involved in making, making disciples, one way we do that is through teaching them to observe all that Christ commands us, right? Is God's word at the forefront of our minds? Is God's word on our lips? It's profitable for teaching. God's word is profitable, as we see also in verse 16, for reproof, reproof. And this goes back to correcting what is false. However, this fact is helpful for our own minds because how often do we stray from the truth? How often do we err on right doctrine? How often do we fall because of sin? How often do we forget the glorious truths of God's word? May the word be our guide to what is right and what is true. God's word is also profitable for correction. Verse 16, for correction. As we are confronted with what is false, or we confront others with what is false, the word should help restore the false thoughts or false actions to what is right, to what is true. And God's word is also profitable for training in righteousness. God's word instructs. God's word builds us up. Why? So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When we are not equipped, when we are not doing what this verse calls us to do, we are like ones who, as it says in Hebrews 5, 13, partake only of milk. There's little babies. May we long for solid food, the solid food of the word, so that we can be mature and are able, as it says in Hebrews 5.14, to have our senses trained to discern good and evil. Now, as the word is proclaimed, one needs to measure what they hear against what they read in Scripture. What is in alignment with the word of God is to be accepted and applied, like what the Bereans did in Acts 17. As the word of God is applied... And all of you probably know this, it might not be enjoyable. It's not enjoyable being confronted by your sin. But as we know from Hebrews 12, verse 6, the discipline of the Lord is for our good. And the word of God demands loyalty. When man is tempted to go beyond or away from what the word says, that is against what God desires. 
Now, such proclaimers of the gospel must be tethered to the word. We must be like Paul, who, as it says in Acts 18.5, devoted himself completely to the word. Believers are identified as ones who believe everything that is in accordance with the word. They are ones who hope in God and have hope of the resurrection from the dead because of their position in Christ. The word of God will endure. Nothing that man can or will do will suppress the word of God. We as believers must remember the word that we have heard. We must remain diligent in living out the word in a way that honors God. It is possible, not recommended, not encouraged, to hear the word and not respond. Not respond in faithfulness to God. It is possible. One may hear truth and follow what is true without having their lives completely changed by it. It has no effect. We who are in Christ should not be marked by that attitude. May it never be. Let us respond in joy and obedience to the word today and every day of our lives as we seek to apply it within the context of our community. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do praise you for your goodness, your grace to us in giving us your word. We're not left alone to wonder what it is or how we apply it to ourselves or within the context of our community here at EBC. May we be proclaimers of Christ to those within our community and to those without. As we are encouraged and exhorted by your word to have the name of Christ on our lips, may you be exalted as we seek to proclaim him and tell others about him wherever we go. May we seek to encourage one another in our relationship with Christ as we seek to grow to become more like him day after day. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.